last Sunday. And if you didn't get one when you came in or you didn't get one last week, we'll have them on the table in the back. But what these are for is it's giving you some, uh, for Lent and also for this series that we're in called Finding Jesus, it's giving you some weekly scripture readings that you can get into. Um, rather than giving like a, a, a short passage for every day, we gave some longer chunks for the week. And so if you want to, uh, you, you could break them up however you want to do it to read them over the week. And on the other side, it has some prayer prompts, just uh, specific things to pray for every day. So if you missed this last week or you weren't here, I just want to hear when I bring your attention to it, because it's been really helpful just kind of, again, all know we're reading the same thing, meditating on the same part of Scripture, praying for one another and for our city. And so just be aware that that tool is there. All right, we're going to jump into our message for today. Um, if you want to, we're going to be kind of jumping around a little bit. And so if you want to start where I'm going to start, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Um, if you click to that or turn to that, if you want to use the Bible um, in the pew, just basically open it up to the very, very front. That's the book of Genesis and then scroll over, flip, scroll over, flip. So it's the, the new way of calling turn the page. Um, turn over to chapter 12 and you'll find where we're going to be. Uh, last week, we started a new series, like I said, called Finding Jesus. Um, we're looking at stories in the Old Testament that point to Jesus, that help us to understand Jesus, that expl help explain, help us grasp who he is and invite us to find him. Last week, we said that Jesus is present throughout the Old Testament, that the whole thing points to him. And that he wants us to know the reality of who he is and uh, who the, to discover the truth of who he is and who we are um, in life with him. Um, like I said, we're going to jump around a little bit today, um, but going to be talking about a specific important concept in regards to the trustworthiness of God. Uh, before we jump into it, let's pray together and just ask God to speak to us through his word. Uh, God, you are good and we are grateful that we can be in your presence together. We praise you for the God that you are, for your mercy, for your grace, for your love, for your care. God, for the joy and peace that hope that you give us. I thank you for every person that's in this room today, watching online, that we can be in your presence together. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would speak through your word in a powerful way, that distractions wouldn't be there, that you would help us to be able to focus on what you're saying, that you would make clear the truth of who you are. I pray that you would convict where we need to be convicted, challenge where we need to be challenged, encourage our hearts, God, whatever it is, Spirit, you know better than we do, and so we just ask that you would work and you would speak in this room, wherever people are at. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, last week's, the Thursday forecast last week uh, said that we were going to have six to eight inches of snow on Friday. This is a picture outside my condo on Friday. Um, not even like six to eight millimeters of snow. Now, let me clarify, I'm not complaining at all. But this seems to be what Chicago forecasts are like anymore. It's going to rain. It will snow. It will be sunny. Sure it will. We'll see what it's actually going to be once we get to that time. Am I the only one that feels this way? Can you kind of resonate with that reality? Now take this idea about unreliable Chicago weather predictions and apply that to the people in your life that say, I promise. 
There are people in our lives that when they say, I promise, we know that it's going to come through. We know it's going to happen. We can be 100% confident about it. But then there are others, they say the phrase, I promise. It's about as trustworthy as a Chicago weather report. And we've had those experiences, right? The friend who said that they would be there, but wasn't. The job that promised certain opportunities, but that they never materialized. The politician that never even tried to attempt at their campaign promises. The loved one who said that we could count on them only until we couldn't. And you know the pain and you know the frustration of dealing with somebody who's untrustworthy, don't you? I do. You know the frustration of having to rely on somebody that's not reliable. Those moments, they make us skeptical of the phrase, I promise, as much as we're skeptical of Chicago weather reports. Somebody says that and it's, we'll see. We'll see once we get to whatever it is. This is part of dealing with other people. But it's also why today's Old Testament stories that we're going to look at are so important. It's because what they let us know is that God is a promise-keeping God. God is a promise-keeping God. He is trustworthy, he is faithful, and true to his word. Today we're going to talk about Old Testament covenants and how they point to the trustworthy of God, trustworthiness of God, the trustworthiness of Jesus. Now, what is a covenant? Covenants were a central aspect of life in, what, uh, in, in life in what we see in the Old Testament. They were used for personal agreements. They were used for legal contracts. They were used for loyalty agreements. It could be between two different individuals. It could be between a higher station person and a vassal or anything like that. But what they did is they were established within a ceremony that created almost a legal backing with the major emphasis being on a solemn commitment to one another. A solemn commitment between two people, between two entities. Let me show you a really short video clip that explains the importance of covenant as we look at the Old Testament. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. 
So you see the importance of how this partnership, this life was, was broken because of people wanting to do their own thing. But the way that God moved toward people to mend this relationship, to mend the relationship with all people, was through covenant. And you heard the emphasis at the end there. Promises and commitment. Promises and commitment. To think about the idea of, of like uh, wedding vows. It was the, the people committing to one another, I am committing to you. But not just I'm committing to you, but I'm committing to be this type of a person. And you're committing to be this type of a person toward me. They're entering into that type of special relationship. That's the key of what we need to grasp today when we look at covenant is the revealing nature of covenant. What do they tell us about God's heart toward people, about himself, what he's trying to accomplish, that he, he needed to reveal himself to those he wanted to relationship with? And the covenants are one of the ways in which God revealed his heart to humanity, working through Israel and ultimately the church. And so what we're going to do is we're going to skim through most of the covenants. We're not going to go through all of them, but another one we're going to pick up in a couple of weeks. But I want to look at a couple of the key covenants in the Old Testament and point to what do they reveal about the reality of God and ultimately what it looks like to find Jesus. And so the first thing we're going to look at is in Genesis 12. And the truth that we want to pick up here is that God offers a better way. This covenant reveals that God offers a better way. It says in Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the introduction to what's called the Abrahamic covenant. This is God fixing a previous problem. In Genesis 11, just one chapter before, we saw people trying to make a city at Babel. But there was more underneath than just architectural plans and building buildings. At Babel, they tried to make God in their image, acting as if God had needs that, they, that others needed to fulfill. And they did it selfishly to make their name great, to build a legacy, to acquire and to secure and God wanted to set the record straight on who he was. He wanted to reveal himself and be known to people to say, I am God, I don't have needs at all, I give because I'm generous and I'm loving. And so he makes this covenant with Abram saying, you're going to go to a land that I will show you. And, he, and comparing what he says to Abram to what happens at Babel, theirs was, let's build a city. But with God, he says to Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. At Babel, they said, let's make a name for ourselves. But God says, I'm going to make your name great. Theirs was, don't disperse us. Let us stay here. But God says to Abram, all the earth shall be blessed through you. When you look at what the people in Babel wanted to do, and you look at what God is offering to Abram, God's idea of what to do and how to move forward was better. God's idea of what was better was way better than anything that they came up with. And that's the reality. We try to do our own things. We try to make our own plans. We try to do things that are in our control. But the offer is the same for us as it was to those in Abram's time. God says, I have a better way. I have a better way for you. I have a better way for this life, for who you are, where you're going. And yes, the things that you're looking to can offer you a little bit in the meantime. 
but they can't give you anything for the long term. They can't give you hope for eternity and, in truth, meaning for who you are today. We have a definite idea of what we want, and we're sure of what's best. Maybe it's because we don't want, we don't understand what God offers. Maybe we don't trust that his better is indeed better. Or maybe we'd rather grip our thing and take it as that's the best thing that there is. But the truth is, is that God is offering us life. He's offering us what's best. It says in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God is offering us life. The meaning, the truth, the purpose, the essence of life, what God offers us is better than anything that we can come up with. God is a promise-keeping, faithful God. He says, I have something better for you. I have the life you were made for. I have the life for you that your heart desires. God's way is always better, and God offers us a better way. The second thing we see in the covenants is that God faithfully keeps his word. That God faithfully keeps his word. When we jump ahead to Genesis 15, so like just turn up one page or scroll to, to use the same. It says, in, this is where we see this Abrahamic covenant that he started in John 12. Here's where we're going to, in essence, sign the contract. Not that there was paper and a desk there that Abraham and God were like signing or anything, but it's the same idea. And so this part of the story starts in chapter 15, verse 4. And it says this, Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And God brought Abram outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then God said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and God counted it to him, Abram, as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And like I said, this is where the covenant's going to be ratified. What happens here, this passage has told us, is that Abram had appointed an heir who would take on his life after he was gone. Take his stuff, take his inheritance, and keep the family going. But the heir that he'd chosen wasn't his son, because he didn't have one yet. He's getting older, and he's, you know, hey, this, I'm not getting any younger, and I need to pass this on. I'm going to appoint this person as an heir. And what God says, nope, that's not the one. You're going to have a son. Even though you might think it's not happening at your age, you're going to have a son. He takes him outside and he shows him the stars. And he says, this is how large your legacy is going to be. When I, the people that are going to come from you, that which is going to work through you, the legacy that we're establishing here that's going to move on out, look at the stars. Because this is going to be your legacy. When I was a youth pastor, we would take our students to camp. And, when, you know, kind of being in the Chicagoland area, you get them into the woods of Michigan, you can see a lot more stars. And we would walk them out there, and I, want to say, I would always say, I want to show you where you are in the Bible. Because you are in the Bible. If you have a relationship with Jesus here today, you are in the Bible. And it's in this verse. Look up at the stars, and here is your offspring. Here is your legacy, Abram. Here are the people that are going to come after you to be in relationship with me. And when Abraham looked up at those stars, if you have a relationship with God, you are one of the stars that he saw. And so the promise that he's making to Abram now does have a direct link to the reality of what he would do ultimately through Jesus and in our lives. And so that's where you are as well. It says, 
Abram promises he's going to have a son, and he also promises him he's going to have land. And he believed him. It says that he counted him, that God counted this as righteousness. Abraham had faith. But okay, God, I know, I'll know when Sarah is pregnant, but like this land thing, how am I going to know when this land is going to be here? And there's a little bit of hesitancy. And so it tells us in verses 9 to 6, 9 to 16, that God has Abraham gather some specific types of animals, and he prepares them by cutting them in a specific way, laying them out in these two different rows. And this is the ritual that would happen to basically make the contract legal, to ratify the contract, the, the, the covenant. This was signing the contract, if you will. And the way that it would typically happen is that both parties would walk through the sacrificed animals. And the fact that both would go through signified the commitment they were making to one another. God gives them a word about the future Egyptian bondage and the exodus, that they're going to experience hardship, but they're going to come out of it with great possession and a legacy. And then they prepare the ritual. And God's commitment is established. And like I said, normally both parties walk the line of animals, which I know can be... Can you go to that, Rachel? Yeah, that one. So both, peop, both people would walk the path of the animals. And again, that might... That, this, thankfully, this is not how we sign. You didn't like have a bunch of dead animals on the ground when you bought your house. Like, thank God for that. But this is just, this is the ritual that they would go through, that they would have this sacrifice, they would make this path, and both people would walk it. And, what's, and so knowing that's important for what we see in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and then he gives a bunch of other locations. The smoke and the fire are a visible manifestation of God. And what is happening there in verse 17? Only he walks the animals. Only God walks the path. Abram doesn't. God is the one who makes the commitment to this covenant. He's the one that signs the contract. Abram doesn't walk it. God alone makes the covenant, which means it's based on his initiative and his giving. God alone walks this path, which means it's based on what he does, not on what Abram does. Even if Abram isn't faithful, God is going to be faithful. Can you imagine going into any contract with anyone on those terms? Imagine going into a business partnership with somebody. You're going to start a business together and you sign a contract for how things are going to go. But in the terms of the contract, it says that the burden of responsibility for everything within the business lies completely on party A, nothing on party B. It doesn't matter what party B does, party A will fulfill the contract, run the business, make it successful. It doesn't matter if party B is lazy, antagonistic, lies, cheats, or steals, party A will not break the contract, but will be faithful to the contract and see it to completion. You would never go into business with a person like that, right? You would never establish a partnership with somebody like that. But this is exactly what God is committing to. God is committing to to make a great nation out of Abram. I'm going to give you this land, and I'll be faithful to that promise, even when you're not faithful. Even when you don't keep your end of the bargain, even when you aren't obedient, even when you aren't faithful, I'm going to be faithful. 
Like I said before, we've all been experienced, we've all experienced being let down by a friend, a loved one, or anyone. It's a major jolt to a kid's psyche when they realize that their friends don't do what they say they're going to do, or when mom and dad don't keep their promises. And we know it doesn't get any better as we grow up. We know the feeling of disappointment, of betrayal, the consequences that it causes. And what God wants us to know, when you look at Genesis 15, that's the message of Genesis 15, verse 17. You can count on me. I am faithful. I keep my word. It says in Psalm 33, 4, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. In Psalm 119, 90, Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Even when we are not faithful, God is faithful. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about grace, that the grace of the Lord is always flowing. It doesn't stop when we mess up. It doesn't start when we get our act together. God's grace is always flowing. Why? Because God is always true to his word. And he tells us that he will be gracious to us, he will be merciful to us, he will give us life. You need to know God is a God that you can count on. When we see the promises in Scripture of the things that God says he will do, then you can take it to the bank that he's going to do it. You can be confident that that's what's going to happen because he is a faithful God. God faithfully keeps his word. And so we've seen that God offers a better way. The covenant shows us God offers a better way. The covenant shows us that God is true to his word. Another thing the covenant shows us is that God shows us how to live. God shows us how to live this life that he's calling us to. Flip over to Exodus 20. It's a little bit of a bigger jump. So first book in the Bible is Genesis. Second book in the Bible is Exodus. And if you look to chapter 20, again, fast forwarding into Israel's history, Abraham and his sons are past. Israel was enslaved in Egypt, but the Exodus saw God freeing them from that bondage. They eventually get to Mount Sinai, where God is going to make make another covenant with them. It says in chapter 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall, make, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the Lord of, name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's life. Now, there's a lot more. I mean, I kind of uh, abridged those, and there's a lot more that's going on in chapters 20 to 24. But this key intro section is a part that many are familiar with. Not everyone, but many are familiar with. These are the Ten Commandments. It actually can be referred to as the Ten Words, just because of how these really quick phrases that come in. And remember, the covenants reveal the reality of who God is. If we read these commands as if they're only about what we need to do or not do, then we're missing the half of the message of what they're trying to communicate. I've done a lot of weddings in my life. I love doing weddings. One, some for people in here. Um, I love doing weddings for people in here. Uh, my one non-negotiable, I usually do whatever you want, make it however you want, but I have one non-negotiable. At some point in the ceremony, the couple has to covenant with one another. They have to exchange vows. It's a moment of exchanging vows, of committing their lives to one another. 
Along with that, it's the moment of declaring what type of spouse they're going to be with one another. Not just, I'm going to write this and talk like share funny memories and talk about how cute I think you are, how beautiful. I'm committing to be this person to you. I'm committing to say no to everyone else, else and say yes to you forever. There has to be a moment in a ceremony when that happens or a wedding didn't happen. They have to covenant with one another. The Ten Commandments can be seen as the Ten Vows. Because each commandment isn't just telling us, hey, human, do this. It's also telling us, and God's going to do this. It's not just saying, hey, be like this. It's also telling us, God's going to be like this. The reality is that every one of these commandments points to a principle. And every one of these principles, those principles is rooted in the character of God. Look at this chart right here. Every command shows us the reality of God. No other gods, be a one God person. Why? Because God is God. Have no idols. What's the principle? Be reliant on God because he is creator. Don't take the Lord's name. Be honorable of God because he is holy. Keep the Sabbath. Be a person, not a machine because God is sovereign. Honor parents. Embrace life. Don't waste it because God is life. Don't murder. Be a life giver, not taker because God is just. Don't steal, be a giver, not withholder, because God provides. Don't commit adultery, be a pure and faithful spouse, because God is pure and faithful. No false witness, be truthful, because God is truthful. Don't covet, be thankful for your life, because God is sufficient. When we look at the commands, when we look through this, it's God saying, I'm going to be this type of a God to you, and I want you to be this type of a person to me. It reveals the character of God that he's guiding us in as we live our lives. And this is echoed in Leviticus 19. It says in Leviticus 19, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God is holy. He is different than everyone else. And he wants us to be holy like he is. God has a certain character, and he wants us to take on that character, to be people that emulate him and show who he is to the world around us. When it comes to how he lives, how we live, God shows how to go about our lives. Be like he is. We may have some confusion and need to figure out some specifics, but no one can doubt or can be confused on how God wants us to be. I want you to be holy, he says, because I am holy. I want you to be like I am. And that can be really, really hard at times. But this is what Paul is talking about in Philippians when he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. When Paul says that, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, he's not saying, I can start this business, or I can pass this test, or I can beat this basketball team, or I can do, I'm not, it's not that type of a thing. What he's saying is, I can be this type of a person. I can be holy. I can be true. I can be honest. I can be honorable. I can be faithful, even when it would be easier not to, because God is going to give me strength. He says, if you need help, if you need strength, I am here for you. I will never leave you or forsake you. It says in John 1, 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. He 
guides us in how to live. He shows us how to live. He makes this covenant with us. I'm going to be this type of a God to you. So you be this type of a people to me. He is a promise-keeping, faithful God. He, God gives us the example of himself and then the promise of guidance, wisdom, and strength to live holy lives. And so God is, gives us a better way. God is, says he's faithful to his word. God shows us how to live. And all of these covenant promises are fulfilled in Jesus. All of this points to Jesus and is fulfilled in Jesus. Much further along in Israel's history, in exile, uprooted from their homeland, they're living in a foreign place. The prophet Jeremiah relies to them. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He says, I have a new covenant that's coming. I have a new partnership of way of doing this that's coming. One inherently different than any of the ones that came before. A new covenant, not to replace those, but to complete them, to fulfill them. The previous covenant of the law revealed God's character and how, it, how to be righteous. But it also showed our need and our, the fact that we couldn't do it on our own. We couldn't complete what the law required. So a new covenant was going to be made, not based on the law, which we didn't even, again, we didn't talk about that, that's coming in two weeks, but, in a, but based on the law, based on Jesus. Jesus, during his final meal with his disciples, he said this in Luke 22, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He's saying, I am the new covenant. I am the one that Jeremiah promised. I am the one that's come to make this right with God so that you could be in relationship with him my broken body, and my shed blood for you. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, the idea of this new covenant is the gospel, the good news that Jesus did everything that was necessary so that we could be in relationship with God. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you, as it was first, imp first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 other brothers all at one time. That is the good news. That is the covenants fulfilled. That is Jesus come for us to die in our place so that we could have life. He came to die for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was dead according to the scriptures, but he rose on the third day conquering sin and conquering death. That's the good news because he did that for us. The, this is God keeping the covenants. He promised a better way. That way is Jesus. That way is the life that Jesus offers us, the life that God, Jesus provides. He promised to be faithful. He faithfully went to the cross in our place. Go back to that contract illustration. How, why in the world would God enter into a contract with somebody that he knows would be unfaithful? 
Because God isn't looking to our unfaithfulness, he's looking to Christ's faithfulness. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his faithfulness and the blood that was, cleanses us, God says, you are forgiven. God says, you are my child. He looks to Christ's faithfulness for our good. God, he promised strength and wisdom and guidance on how to live. And in Jesus, we see and receive strength, wisdom, and guidance. He says he will never leave us, says he will never forsake us. He is always with us, and he gives us life. It says in Hebrews 9, Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Says the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Did you hear that? A death occurred that redeems us from the transgressions committed under the first covenant because of our mediator, the one who stands in our place in this new covenant. Tim Keller says, How can God be holy and still remain faithful to his people? Only through the death of Jesus on the cross, where both love and law are fulfilled, where the Lord became the perfect servant and fulfilled the covenant perfectly and fully on our behalf. You need to know that Jesus died for you. You need to know that Jesus calls you. He wants you to find life in him. He wants to take care of the problem, problem underneath all of your problems, the sin issue. And he be with you through every second of your life within redemption, within that new life he gives you to give you joy and purpose and peace and hope. First Peter tells us Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Jesus did everything that he did so that we could come home where we were meant to be with the Lord. How do you do that? Romans tells us, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now here's the thing that, closing here, this is the thing I, I need you to understand within what that verse is talking about. When it talks about the fact, if you believe in your heart, if you call on the name of the Lord, a relationship with God is not the same thing as a relationship with an earthly friend. There is a covenant relationship with him. Pastor John Tyson in New York talks about this. He says this, By having a covenant relationship with God isn't easy. People don't really want to live up to that kind of commitment. There are a few different examples of the types of relationships with people that Jesus, the types of relationships with Jesus that people can have. And we have to think about how our relationship with Jesus is. The first level of commitment with Jesus is a consumer, he says. A consumer is only in the relationship for what the person gives them. As long as God does what they want, they are in. The second he doesn't, they're out. He says the second level of commitment is casual. They, they, they like the person, but they don't take things too seriously. They feel free to do what they want, when they want, but pop into things when God, with God when they feel like it. So consumer, casual, and he says the third level is commitment. This is when you take your relationship with God seriously. Your faith means a lot to you. God is, the one of, uh, the God is one of your real priorities. As good as this is, there is a level of depth and friendship deeper than this, and it's the covenantal level. And he says the fourth level of commitment is covenant. 
a covenant relationship with God. He shows you his love, kindness, and help. He adopts you into his family and shares his heart with you. He reveals his will, plans, and purposes for your life. In response, you commit to him. A covenant relationship is an exclusive, loyal, wholehearted commitment to God. You are committed to no matter what it costs you or what others think. God is not one of your priorities. He is the priority. This is the kind of relationship God wants with you. Consumer, casual, commitment, covenant. Here's the hard truth that we need to hear this morning. If you feel that you have a consumer, casual, or commitment relationship with God, you don't have a relationship with God. You're acquaintances with him. You're not in relationship with him. It's only when we have a covenant relationship with God that we are truly receiving what Jesus has offered us. It would be like it's the difference between the wedding and dating. It's the difference between the wedding and just moving in together. All the benefits, but not the actual commitment. Well, I mean, that's just a It's a commitment. It's a covenant. And if we're not doing that, then we don't realize just how consumeristic we are. And so the thing you have to ask yourself is, do you have a relationship with God? A covenantal relationship with God where you have said, God, it's you. You are my one thing. You are my everything. I am surrendering all that I am to who you are because I want everything that you are to be everything that I am. That's what Romans is talking about. When Romans says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, not my buffet of what I just want and pick and choose, not just my casual buddy, my Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's when you're a new person. That's when you're his son or daughter. Anyone who calls on him for that is saved. And so if you're in here today and that's never happened with you, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day that you begin following Jesus truly in earnest. Not just buddies, not just a religious hobby, not just life stinks right now, so I need a little bit of encouragement. A covenant relationship. He is my Lord. Because when that relationship is there, that's when we have the life We were created and meant to be. Jesus is the promise-keeping, faithful God. He will, Jesus will never go back on his word. He will never leave you nor forsake you. you. He is inviting you into the life you were created for. So take him at his word and trust him today. Galatians says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Be a child of promise today. And if you are, then remember who you are and live within that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the fact that you pursue us, the fact that you've done the work to be in relationship with us. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for your resurrection in the empty tomb, that you conquered sin, you conquered death, that you invite us back into relationship, the partnership our hearts crave. God, I pray that you would give people courage to see the truth of who you are, the courage to receive the gift that you've given them. Let today be the day of salvation, God. 
that people begin following you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Our team is going to uh, lead us in one last song. If you could stand and we're going to uh, close with this. And here's what I